Hey, welcome to night school. Thursday, rainy Thursday. It's been a little bit since we've had some good rain, despite it still being technically winter, which is the name of my next autobiography. I've got a lot of autobiographies. If you've been counting, there's probably like a hundred autobiographies I've written about myself, or I've planned. I've planned them. All I have is the titles. My autobiography is actually just going to be a collection of potential autobiography titles, but technically winter is going to be one of those. Technically winter. The Eric Stonefelt story. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I'm thinking about right now is uh, something my friend sent me, which is, it was a Marcus Aurelius quote, who I don't think I've ever brought up on here. I've never read Marcus Aurelius. You know, his his meditations, I believe, is, you know, one of his popular works. Those, obvious, obviously, I'm familiar with. Uh, a lot of the ideas that come out of that, it just those things have made their rounds. Um, but it was a quote about how it's always an option to have no opinion. And that's such a good muscle to strengthen, the, you know, the one that keeps you from saying everything you think or maybe not even thinking it. Because, I mean, that is actually meditation. You know, that is a, a, not the whole of meditation, but that is a big part of meditation is learning just to let even the thoughts rest and maybe even cease. You know, you realize which thoughts are truly natural to you and which thoughts are simply reactions. And I was talking about reactions recently in a recent episode, you know, the the need to react to current events, the need to react to a loud sound and how, you know, I try to avoid reacting it's one thing to respond, but I try to avoid reacting, and oftentimes opinions are just reactions. Like I've mentioned the story on here, it's not much of a story, but I've just mentioned the idea on here before, whereas a, a little kid, when I'd be at a restaurant with my family, and let's say a waiter would drop a dish, or you'd hear a, you'd hear a bang in the kitchen, and speaking of which, I'm drinking a Blue Raz Bang right now. I've actually been drinking a lot of Miami Colas lately. I went through a real... There was a real uh, a drought. There was a Miami Cola drought in my life because I wasn't going to gas stations. For whatever reason, you can only get Miami Cola here at gas stations, not at grocery stores. So it, there was a good couple of months, I think, where I didn't have a single Miami Cola. And I've been drinking a lot of bangs lately. I've been giving myself that. I've been rewarding myself. I don't know. I don't, I don't treat it like a reward. But anyway, I'm drinking a Blue Raz Bang. And Blue Raz, I think of Blue Raz as kind of a classic, as far as Bang goes, Blue. it's a Blue Raz classic. Uh, but anyway, with, with opinions, so often they're reactions. And as a kid, I noticed, you know, when you'd hear a loud bang in the kitchen at a restaurant, you know, everybody's heads turn and they, and you, people even like verbalize it. You, you, you even hear people go like, what was that? What was that? It's like, you all know what that is. If you'd give yourself a second to just process it without reacting, you're not going to have any questions. Like, as long as you don't hear somebody go, oh, my God, oh, oh shit, this, this plate fell on my foot. You know, it, it's like you know that a plate fell. You know that somebody dropped something. And, yeah, it's a loud noise, and I'm not going to shame somebody for responding to a loud noise. You know, I'm not going to shame somebody for doing what's natural, obviously. You know, because there's something to be said. Because as a kid, though, like I, ha it's weird to look back at that. Because I remember protesting that. I remember protesting the reaction to that, being like, "I'm not gonna turn my head and look at the the kitchen door of the restaurant where we heard the loud noise because I know what it is, and I don't need to gasp or say whoa, because we all know what that is, and there's nothing we can do about it." Unless you hear a waiter in there going, help me, help me, after you hear the loud bang, it doesn't require any action. So as a little kid, I, I look back on that experience, that experience, as just an early exercise of, of being like, I don't need to react to that. But I don't want my anti-reaction, which is a reaction, of course, but I don't want my anti-reaction to be out of spite. Which it sort of was. You know, as a kid, I was like, God, people, everybody turns their head and looks. Why does everybody have to do that? You know, as a kid, I, I sort of had this spite about it. 
And it's very easy for like Stoicism and Pyrrhonism and all of the, you know, Greek philosophy, a lot of Greek philosophy runs through this, which I'm no expert in, but a lot of those ideas are just intuitive. You know, be equanimous, you know, um, keep your ideas to yourself when possible. I don't know. I wouldn't know how to break it all down, but stoicism is is rooted in what I'm talking about, which is the idea of not reacting unnecessarily, not just having an opinion for the sake of having an opinion. You know, there are a lot of parallels between stoicism, Pyrrhonism, and Buddhism, for example. Um, and uh, sometimes people get into those ideas, though, and they almost try to like wield them as a blunt object, where like when someone has an opinion or a reaction, someone who's gotten into that way, you know, who's, who's gotten into the discipline and restraint, who's gotten into, so let's just, let's just use stoicism as an example. They'll be like, I don't have an opinion, which itself is an opinion, you know, cause all these things are inescapable. That's the funny thing about all this is all of this is inescapable. You cannot escape having an opinion. Because not having an opinion becomes an opinion. And people use not having an opinion in the same way they would having an, they would having an opinion. They, they use not having an opinion just as you would use having a million opinions. Because it turns out having an opinion, it doesn't make a difference whether it's one opinion or a million. An opinion is an opinion. A reaction is a reaction. Even if you react to everything in the same way, you're still reacting just as much as somebody who reacts in a hundred different ways. So that's the interesting thing about it where you can't escape having a, a take, even if your take is, I don't have a take. And you'll see where people who are especially new to those ideas or, you know, people will rest on that idea of like, I, I'm a stoic man and I don't have opinions. But every time someone has an opinion, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to assert the fact that I don't have an opinion, even through my silence, I'm going to wield my silence like a weapon. And that itself is, you know, still a reaction. It's still an opinion of some kind. So all this stuff is inescapable. And I think that's where people run into trouble is they want to rest on something. They want to have an answer, but everything is inescapable. Everything that you want to run from is inescapable, including opinions. Because I've gone through phases of my life where it, the way I am out in the world is largely indifferent. And that's been true my whole life. Like, even though I do this show that's filled with all kinds of neurotic opinions, part of that's for entertainment. Part of that's because it's fun. But even though I do this show, it's like most of my life, including now, I don't go out in the world and express myself constantly. I just don't. It's not what I naturally do. But the interesting thing about that is people read into that. People put you on a certain people put you in a certain category based on what you don't say. And it's not wrong to do that. I think we naturally do that. I mean, I think a great example is in the Bhagavad Gita where you know, Krishna tells Arjuna, you know, you're going to have to choose a side in this battle or it's going to choose you. And when it chooses you, it might not be the side that you would prefer to be on. So if you choose the side that you're going to be on, you at least have chosen the more preferable side. You might not want to be part of this battle, but there are some situations that demand that you participate and you can't actually avoid it. And I think having an opinion is a battle. I think most of the battles that we fight in life are based around our opinions. I mean, I would say nine. I mean, most of us will never actually get in a fight. We live in a time where most most men, most boys haven't even been in a fight. And I haven't I've, I've never been in a real fight. I've been in little squabbles. I've never been in a real fight fight, a fight fight. And, uh, you know, I've never been to battle. I've never been in battle. So most of my battles, most of the conflicts, let's, let's use that word, let's use conflict. Most of the conflicts in my life have been matters of opinion. 
and it's constant. It's, it's even expressed an opinion is to invite conflict, to invite war. And that's one of the reasons why Stoicism and Pyrrhonism and the equi equanimity of Buddhism are attractive to people, because it's a way of opting out. It's a way of opting out of conflict. And even the word opinion, you think about the word opinion, and that's almost a, a negative word itself. Like, it's not a cool word. Like, when someone says opinion, you don't think, oh, that's a cool thing. You almost think of it as something to be averse to. Yet we all, you know, we all have our opinions, of course. Because um, there are thoughts. There are, are there are reactions. And at some point, you do have to react. And that's getting back to the Bhagavad Gita. It's like, if you look at that, you know, not as like this actual war, which in, in the Bhagavad Gita, it's, you know, the two warring factions are actually cousins of each other, which I love. I love that the two factions who are going to war against each other are cousins, which isn't some like theatric thing. You know, it's like that's that's real where you look at all the, you know, the royal, um, you know, the fights for the throne in England and things and how often it's relatives Somebody wants to be king. Some, the uncle wants to be king. He doesn't want his nephews to be king. You know how many stories kind of have an element of that, of relatives in conflict with each other for power. And so in the Bhagavad Gita, that's it's two uh, two factions of cousins fighting each other. And I believe Arjuna is related to both of them. And he's ambivalent to the conflict. You know, he doesn't want to participate. But Krishna tells him... You know, a side is going to choose you, so you might as well choose the side that you would prefer. And that's what happens when you don't offer your opinion sometimes. Like, I had somebody tell me in January, it was when I was arguing with people I know about free speech, somebody told me they were shocked by some of the opinions I have. And this person, the person who said that is somebody who's extremely opinionated. She is she's the reason why people choose stoicism because she is so reactive and i'm not even saying that as an insult to her it's simply a fact she is an extremely reactive person and it was sort of eye-opening to me though that she was sh she said she was shocked by some of the views i have meanwhile i wasn't actually expressing any views i was simply talking about the fact that I believe in absolute free speech, which is an opinion, but it's an opinion about having a, an opinions. And it, it's an expression about e expression. It's very abstract. It's not an actual concrete viewpoint of my own. So for somebody to be shocked by that is shocking to me because what I'm saying is not controversial. It's not actually supporting any one particular way of thinking. It's simply wanting to open the whole field up. But it made me realize that, oh, because I haven't necessarily expressed all of my thoughts or all of my opinions to a given person who's been in my life, they've filled in the blanks. They've connected dots that aren't actually connected. And I've run into that a lot, especially with people on the left who I know, where they think that because they've had this very positive, healthy relationship with me, friendship, that I must agree with them. Because in their minds, somebody who doesn't necessarily agree with them socially or politically must be, you know, agitating to be around. And I, I don't think I'm making a jump here. I don't think I'm making an assumption. I, I know this. Where a lot of the people I know who are very politically charged and have walled themselves in, surrounding themselves with people who think exactly like them or close to it, they've convinced themselves that people who don't agree with what, they've convinced themselves that people who don't think in line with, with the thoughts that are inside of that bubble are, are going to be grating to be around or dangerous to be around. They can't imagine that you can have a positive, healthy relationship with somebody who doesn't agree with you on these core values. And so people who have had good friendships with me will assume, okay, he must agree with me because if he didn't, I would know because he'd be an asshole. 
when that's just simply not the reality. And so they've filled in these blanks. They've connected these dots, and that's fascinating to me. Because they've done exactly what the Bhagavad Gita talks about, which is they've put me on a certain side of the battle, but it turns out I'm not on that side. So that's what I mean by a side choosing you. When you don't say anything, when you don't do anything, a side will choose you. And so you might as well know what side you're on. It doesn't mean you have to turn on those people. Just because you don't agree with people, especially your friends, doesn't mean you have to be like, well, I'm going to choose, because I don't agree with them, I'm going to fight them. I'm going to get into a conflict with them. No, but you at least know where you stand when it comes down to it. And, uh, you know, but, but other people, they will put you on a side. And if things escalate enough, you really won't have a choice, and it could impact your physical reality. Because what the Bhagavad Gita is explaining is true for the abstract. It's true for. It's true psychologically. It's true mentally. It's true with just simply your. Your. Um, cognitive existence. I don't know how to put this without sounding annoying, but uh, you know, it's true for what goes on in your mind and what goes on in other people's minds, which is what produces opinions. So it's true for all of that, but it, it also can become very physical. And we've seen that over the last year. You know, we've seen where things have gotten very physical. All of these opinions that people have had have manifested physically. And that's scary. And so when things start to manifest physically, you should really know where you stand. You should really, at least for your own internal purposes, pick a side. And it doesn't mean you have to, like, confine yourself to that. But you should at least know where you stand. And, and, and you know, you might be on different sides when it comes to different situations. But it's just, it's an interesting thing where if you don't say anything, sometimes you will kind of get recruited into something that you didn't join, that you didn't willingly join. And, uh, you know, and opinions are such a battle, but it's important not to just express them for the sake of it, unless you're having fun with it. Because that's what I'll say, you know, it's very easy to get into this idea of stoicism or, you know, this restraint, this silence, and to think anybody who talks too much, anybody who has an opinion sucks. And, and the real cool, manly thing to do is to be silent. And I rebel against that. Because having opinions is fun. Having opinions is how you engage with the world. But I think you want to know what you're doing. I think that's what I'm getting at, where you want to know what you're doing when you express something about the world. You know, you want to know, you want to have control. Because that Marcus Aurelius quote about, you know, not having an opinion is always an option. You know, my friend sent it to me this morning. I don't know that that's completely true, at least in my opinion. I think you can lean that way. I think you can lean toward not reacting, not having an immediate response or opinion when something comes up, when something enters your sensory field. You know, I think that you can lean that way. But like the Bhagavad Gita talks about, it's like I think at some point you will be forced to take a stand and simply having an opinion is taking a stand, even if it's about something trivial. I mean, I've seen people at workplaces go crazy about what like food was ordered for the, the team lunch. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. We're ordering uh, Panda Express? Oh, my God. All this fried food? You're ordering all this fried food for the team lunch? Oh, I want something healthy. You know, I've seen people really dig their heels in about stuff like that. Stuff that's just like, this is a half an hour of your life. You know, and you don't have to eat it. <laughs> you know, it's but yet we do that about all kinds of things, and... If it's fun, it's fun. You know, if it's fun to have an opinion, that's one thing. You know, I, I say all kinds of things on here. I'm like, the worst thing in the world is when someone parks next to you in an empty parking lot. You know, I have all kinds of neuroses, although I stand by that. And that happened to me the, the other day. I took Batty. There's a park here, near here 
It's out. It's actually it's a park that's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like a bunch of giant soccer fields with a wood a wooded trail, and uh, it's a great place to take dogs. And it's also in the middle of nowhere, so it's 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 kind of the perfect place. And uh, Batty and I were there. And we we were the only people there the other day. And when I was going back to my car, it's a big parking lot. The only other person who had gotten there since we did parked right next to me. And it was a teenager with a skateboard, and he was just skating around the parking lot. And I gave him a pass. You know, I didn't knock his teeth out. But, it, you know, honestly, I had an opinion. It pissed me off because I'm like, you have an entire parking lot here. You have an entire empty parking lot, and it's big. There are so many parking places. And you parked right next to me. It's the urinal, you know, it, it's it's the urinal logic where it's like, if you go into a bathroom and there's a row of urinals and there's only one guy at a urinal and he's on the far left, you don't go to the urinal right next to him. You go to the urinal on the far right. And a guy who goes into a completely empty bathroom and chooses the middle urinal is weird too because that's almost forcing someone to be close to you. You go to the farthest possible extreme. You go to the, you, if you go into an empty bathroom and let's say there's, you know, four urinals you choose either the one on the far left or the far right and if someone comes in and stands next to you they're fucked up they either they want to look at your dicky or t- or have some it's it, it's too intimate it's weird and uh, you're allowed to have an opinion about that <laughs> you're allowed to have an opinion when someone chooses to get right next to you when they have every other urinal available but you should also choose the one on the farthest, you know, at the far end, so you don't force somebody to be closer to you than you need to be. This is important. But it's the same thing for cars and, you know, parking lots, where the same exact rules apply to urinals as parking lots, where, you know, choose a parking place that's on its own, you know, even if you have to walk a little more. But if someone chooses to park right next to you when it's not necessary, they're fucked up. They're fucked up. They are, though, in my opinion, and I was just kind of looking at this kid. I wasn't staring him down, but he was, like, skating around the, the parking lot, and I'm just like, why'd you park right next to me? You could have parked seriously anywhere. You could have parked, you could have even left just one space, which I, I would have been bothered by that, too, <laughs> you know, uh, but at the same time, you, you parked in the space right next to me. I just don't get it. Because even as a teenager, I knew not to do that. I, I don't chalk it up to just like teenage ignorance. It's teenage skateboard and ignorance. Oh, what what's going on? Is your brain in your skateboard? Did you lose your brain at the skate park? You know, it's. I don't think there's an excuse. It's just nobody taught me that. It just seems natural. It seems intuitive. It's like stoicism, <laughs> where I like it's like you can study stoicism, but so much that's in that is pretty intuitive. At least as a man, you know, as a man, I feel like a lot of the ideas in stoicism are intuitive. It doesn't mean I follow them. Because, I mean, honestly, I have friends who, they, they don't call themselves stoics. Because, you know, I feel like anybody who calls themselves a stoic is... Uh, I don't know. I, I just find that annoying. <laughs> it's funny that this thing that's based around being restrained and quiet and equanimous can actually be annoying, and it can. And that's what I mean when I say that not having an opinion is an opinion. Sometimes being silent is obnoxious. And I, I have friends who I love who are very stoic, and I, I use that as a verb I don't use it to say that they subscribe to the philosophy of Stoicism, but they're, they're, the way they live is very Stoic, and I love them for that, but there are times where I want to strangle them because I'm just like, say something. Say something. Oh, you don't have an opinion on what we're going to go do? Oh, you, don't, you don't have an opinion on what restaurant we're going to go to? You know, because I'm the kind of person where I'll take a back seat to a lot of that stuff, but then I will go off about, you know, parking spaces and urinals. Like, I never care about what restaurant we're going to go to. But I will go off about urinals. That's just how I am. But I have friends who like never give their opinion on anything. And it, like I said, it can be kind of like this blunt object you're getting hit with. Where it's just like, can you just do, can you just say something? Can you just offer something? 
and that's my own neuroses maybe that's my own neurosis where it's like i i shouldn't be trying to control what what someone else is doing but uh not having an opinion does become an opinion unto itself and uh i don't know it this kind of fits into the whole thing that whole line of logic that's been going on a lot in the last year you know silence is violence your silence is deafening. And it's sort of based on the same idea that not having an opinion on social issues, on political issues, is itself an opinion. So in that way, people are right. Like when leftist activists say silence is violence or silence is deafening, while the silence is violence is just absurd, this generalization of violence is completely absurd, and I, I'll never accept the rationale for that. The idea that silence does have a weight is true. And it's exactly what I'm talking about here. And I'm not going to dismiss everything that people say just because I don't agree with them. That goes against everything I believe to do that. So when people on the left say, like, you know, you not saying anything is saying something, like not commenting on... BLM is having an opinion on BLM, even though you're not saying anything. I understand the logic, and there is a logic to that. Not commenting on something, especially if it's obvious, especially if it's unavoidable, that does become a sort of opinion. You can't necessarily assume too much about that, but you are going to feel something. You are going to notice. At the very least, you're going to notice when somebody isn't talking about a given thing. But this kind of goes back to what I was talking about, I think, last week about current events, where I try not to talk about current events. I inevitably do. But I lean toward not talking about them because then I'm less likely to. It's not that I never will. I can't be a human being and live a natural life and entertain myself for that matter, if I don't sometimes comment on current events. But I don't want to be consumed by them. I don't want to be on the merry-go-round of current events, so that's all I talk about. And so I try to lean away from talking about them, knowing full well that I will talk about them sometimes. But if I lean away, I have more control. I, it's called discipline. It's called discipline. And that, to me, is exactly how I feel about having a, a, opinions, where I lean away from offering an opinion on anything and everything, knowing full well that I will have opinions. But if I lean away from being overly opinionated, in my day-to-day -day life, this show's a little different, but in my day-to-day -day life, I lean away from having constant opinions, knowing that I will have opinions, but if I lean away from it, I'm less likely to just be oversaturated in it and to oversaturate the world in my opinions you know so there's that you know that, that sort of discipline like strengthening that muscle that allows you to have a little bit of restraint but that doesn't mean you you can ever escape you can never escape having some kind of a, an opinion because not having an opinion is an opinion itself and at some point one side of the battle will choose you and as much as I don't think of life as two opposing sides Sometimes that does, sometimes something is so polarizing that there really is no way to be in between. Sometimes there are situations where something is so incredibly polarizing that you're lying to yourself if you think there is a gray area between it. Or the gray area is so marginal, it's so, it, 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 it's, it, anyways, it's just, it's just, the gray area is so tiny that it's just why even try to stand on it. It's such a tightrope to, to exist in that gray area that you're doing yourself a disservice. You're going through a pointless exercise by even trying to stay neutral. So there are times where it just life polarizes you. Situations polarize you. But you should be reluctant to be polarized. But sometimes you are. And... You should be reluctant to give your opinion. You should be reluctant to give opinions all the time. But that doesn't mean you should never give opinions, because sometimes you just have to.
And, and just when you think that you're stoic, just when you think you're some Pyrrhonist, just when you, when you got done meditating and all your thoughts ceased or slowed down, just when you get overconfident in that part of yourself is when an opinion comes and you express it and you might not even realize it. Just when you think that you've mastered the game, when you've escaped, is when it comes back. You know, it's like ego death, which is the example I always use. It's like if you've experienced an ego death and then you acknowledge that ego death, guess what? Your ego's back and it's even bigger than before because now you think you've mastered your own ego. Oh, I, I experience, I'm experiencing an, e- an ego, I'm experiencing an, an ego, an ego death. That's a really egotistical thing to say. Say hello, your ego's back. It's just the truth. The second you think you've mastered your ego, the second you think that your ego has died, is the second your ego gets blown back up again like a hot air balloon. Same thing with opinions. The second you think that you're a stoic, is the second that, guess what? You're now a, you're thinking about, you're reacting You know, the second you get confident in that part of yourself and start calling yourself that, the second you start saying, oh, I don't have any opinions, is the second an opinion just shoots right to the top and comes out of your mouth. It's inescapable. So you might as well know that that will happen, but have a level of restraint about it. Because, I mean, there are some situations where you think you need to express an opinion. And to me, one of the worst feelings ever is, there's two versions of this. One is like mandatory participation in a classroom where you know that you have to get participation points and communicate to your professor that you have something to say. It doesn't even matter what the quality of it is. You have to just pick a random page out of the book that you were supposed to read for class and say something about one line. I mean, I I remember not reading the book. Like when I was in college, I remember like not reading the book and just choosing a random line and then like giving an opinion like, oh, the way that she worded this made me think of this just to get participation points. And that's such a dirty feeling. It's such a dirty feeling when you, when participation is mandatory and you just come up with some random thing just to have an opinion, just to have a thought, just to get your participation points. But that's college and, you know, it's one thing, but it's even worse in the workplace in my experience. Because in college, it's like all you're doing is communicating to the professor that you're participating so that you get full credit, so that you get a good grade. But in work meetings, that's also there. If you've ever been in a work meeting where you feel that pressure to participate, not for participation points, but to show that you care, because that's what a lot of opinions are. While sometimes we are just reacting on, on a visceral level, a lot of opinions are us trying to show that we care. And you'll hear people give opinions and ideas in work meetings. And the problem with that is sometimes people act on them. Like someone will make a suggestion in a, in a work planning meeting and it's a completely, it's just a dumb idea. And next thing you know, you're doing it because someone suggested it. And it, it just, you got to be careful what you say because what you say can turn into reality. And, and it can all start from just a desire to participate and show that you care because you're worried that people will think you don't care. And that's, that gets into like virtue signaling and all that. And that's sort of what it is. Like if you've been in, in I mean, that's, uh, virtue signaling is basically like this feeling of mandatory participation where it's like, oh, I've got to say something or the teacher isn't going to, you know, the teacher's not going to give me credit. I've got to say something to show that I am listening and reading the book and I'm paying attention. I've got to get my participation points. That's essentially what virtue signaling is. It's, just, it's a desire to communicate to your peers that you're participating. And people do it at work. They do it. It's not just politics and, and social issues that people virtue signal over. You know, they do it at work. They do it at school. They do it all the time. 
And so that's just an interesting thing about being a human is that we are constantly trying to get our participation points. And sometimes you have to, you know, in school, a system has been set up where you have to do that at work to some degree, you have to, hopefully you can do it in a meaningful way. That's always the dilemma. Um, But there are situations where you have to say something to get your credit so that the boss doesn't think that you're, so the boss thinks you care, whatever it is. But you have to be careful about what you say in those situations too, because that can manifest, uh, you know, your, your opinion can easily manifest into something. And that's why opinions aren't just a trivial thing. That's why the conflicts that we get into based on our opinions are very real. Like, I could go to the grocery store and say the wrong thing right now and get into a physical fight that changes my life forever. And that's just an extreme example, you know. Um, But having an opinion at all does manifest something. It does create situations that are far more real than the opinion itself. They can put you into a conflict or a battle or, or something. It might not even be, it might be a good thing too. You know, you might get, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, this isn't all bad. And I guess that's why I'm kind of defending opinions to some degree in this episode. Because it's how you engage with the world. And, and when, when a stoic kind of sits there and thinks like having an opinion is bad. So I'm going to have this really negative opinion about opinions. It's like you're missing out on a big part of expression, which is that you also create the good things in the world, the things you want. You engage with the world in the way that you desire by having opinions too. It's not like it's all bad. Everything has its function and its, you know, malignancy. Everything has, you know, you know, a, a plus and a, a negative and, you know, opinions are what form friendships. They form relationships. They connect you with people. Sometimes your opinion is what leads to you creating. You know, this show is an example of that where, you know, sometimes I'll just, I don't invent opinions for this show. Like, yeah, obviously some things are tongue-in-cheek, tongue-in-cheek, tongue-cheek. You know, obviously some things are, are meant to be funny or, or meant to be, uh, not meant to be an actual viewpoint of mine. But at the same time, I don't invent opinions for this. I don't, I don't sit there and think like, what would be a really weird and funny opinion to have? Like everything I say on here is something I actually think. And it's not just invented as some sort of joke punchline. Like, like I don't write, this isn't scripted, I guess is my point. But it's a creative process, you know, and so I see sometimes like talking about, you know, do I really care about urinals? Do I really care about this or that? You know, I'll give opinions on this show about certain things. Some of them I do actually care about. Some of them I really don't. But it's part of a creative process to express it. Not to give you too, not to give you too much of a look behind the curtain here. I don't want to reveal too much here, even though this is all about just laying things bare. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really like a lot of, I don't like protest art. I don't like art that's like explicitly offering an opinion on something. Like I don't like punk music, music, punk music. I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't like visual art. Like I don't like, uh, I don't know. There's like the crass artist, you know, uh, not, not crass with a lowercase C crass with a capital C, is it like V something? I can't I can't remember her name, but it's like I remember seeing a piece of art she did, and it was like an army helicopter with like a pink bow tied to it. I think that was her. And it's like that's like Banksy level shit, which I can't stand. I, I can't stand that kind of commentary in art. I I generally don't like political cartoons. You know, because that's just it's art that's based on an opinion. But again, you can't escape it. And it's like the new blockaders said, you know, the noise group, the new blockaders, they had a statement they made, I think, in the 80s that was, you know, even anti-art is art. That is why we reject it. And I mean, that's very true for this. It applies to so many things where it's like, 
the idea of like a stoic being like anti-opinion. It's like even being anti-opinionated is being opinionated. So you have to reject the idea of being anti-opinionated too. And all that kind of plays into the Buddhist middle way where it's like being an ascetic who denies everything, who let's, let's just keep, let's use opinions here to explain the middle path where it's like having no opinion is like being an ascetic. It's like denying yourself sustenance because having opinions does actually sustain you in many ways. It is how you engage with the world. It is how you create positive things as well as negative, but it's how you connect with people in many ways. A lot of your relationships are formed from opinions. You might not even realize it. What are, you know, even if it's taste, even if it's like you met your friend because you're into the same bands, it's like, what is that? That's an opinion. It's your taste. Your taste and your opinions are the same thing. Um, but the idea of denying opinions in some sort of like stoic, like minimalism, it's just like, that's the ascetic, the ascetic approach. I always, I always struggle with that word. It's like, I'm going to deprive myself as some sort of act of protest against the material world. That doesn't seem to be it. Like for me, completely denying myself all opinions, I know is not it. Being aesthetic about opinions, having the ability to do that is good. Like being able to go to that extreme when necessary is good, but dedicating myself to that extreme is not it. But then on the other end, where it's like completely indulging every opinion, every reaction, living in this world of taste, where you have thoughts about everything, opinions about everything, doing that all the time, that's not it either. So what is it? Well, you know, you're going to go between those extremes. It's good to be able to do that. It's good to be able to go on a rant. Like, I'm glad that I can just talk about my thoughts and opinions at length, but I wouldn't want to stay there. I wouldn't want to be chained to that. Just like I wouldn't want to be chained to the complete absence of opinion either. So, you know, you can see where the Buddhist middle way, the Buddhist middle path applies down the board to just about everything. It's, it's, you know, finding that middle way between those two extremes. And not that that middle way is a fixed path. You're going to go from one end to the other, but you're also going to stay centered. You're also going to keep moving forward. And that's what your opinions should really be. Your opinions should keep you centered and they should keep you moving forward. And sometimes you might be in a situation that is so polarizing that it's hard to stay in that center. Like I said, that that center, that neutrality might be such a thin tightrope that it's way more of a strain on you to try to walk it than it is to just go with the thing you feel, which might be one extreme or the other. Because, I mean, there's definitely situations I've been in where just looking at opinions in abstract terms, you know, rather than about, like, a specific issue, but just looking at, like, the general idea of having an opinion. I've been in situations where everybody is so opinionated that as an act of protest, I say nothing. And people pick up on that. People aren't stupid. No matter how much people want you to think people are stupid, most people aren't stupid. Most people. And when everybody's throwing their ideas out there and you're just sitting there silent, stone-faced, stone-faced, stone-felt, people are going to notice that. And in them noticing that, you actually are offering an opinion. So again, no escape. (laughs) No escape. And, you know, and I had a joke. I've mentioned this before, I'm sure. But when I was in college, you know, the college I went to, we would, we would get into these smaller groups. You know, you'd have larger lectures that would have, I don't know, 90 people. They weren't very big classes. But they would break you down into smaller groups of like 30. And those groups of 30 would meet and discuss books, discuss the text, discuss things in depth as a smaller group. And in every one of those, you know, you'd go around the circle and introduce yourself. And they'd say, you know, tell us your name and a couple things things about you, like hobbies, you know, what, what, tell us a couple things about yourself. And my go-to that I used probably just twice, it wasn't like I did this every time, but a, a couple times I just said, Eric, no hobbies, no interests, and got no laughs. Nobody thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. 
I still think it's funny. Eric, no hobbies, no interests. And I wasn't trying to be... To me, that was just a joke. It wasn't me trying to be stoic or anything. But then it's funny thinking about that now because I I did go through a phase, you know, within the last few years where I kind of started to feel like I didn't have any hobbies and interests. I, I devoted myself further to spiritual discipline. I'd gone through something of a transformation, whatever that is. And I was thinking, you know, oh, guess what? I don't really have any hobbies and interests. You know, I didn't consider myself a stoic, but I did kind of think, oh, I'm, I meditate. I study this. I'm just kind of floating through life and I, I don't have any hobbies and interests. It's like ego death. The second you start telling yourself you don't have any hobbies or interests, next thing you know, your hobbies and interests come right back. And you feel kind of silly thinking that you lost interest in something because suddenly you're engaged. Suddenly you're engaged by your hobbies and interests again. And they might change. I mean, there's certainly interests I have that I'm not interested in anymore. They serve their purpose during a certain time in my life, like true crime. Like I have no desire or interest in just reading about serial killers anymore. I feel like I exhausted that. I got everything I needed to get out of that, and anything beyond that would just be dark indulgence. So there's no reason for me to pay much attention. I'm still interested in the mafia. And that actually ties into this because, you know, there's it's a term that pop culture knows well. I mean, even people who aren't particularly interested in the mob know the term omerta, O-M-E-R-T-A. And what a lot of people don't know, and I didn't actually know this until recently, is the word omerta comes from, and I don't know that I'm going to pronounce this right, but uh, umilta, (laughs) which sounds stupid, but I think I'm mispronouncing it, but U-M-I-L-T-A. And then in Sicilian, you know, L's get corrupted to R's. The word gets changed a little bit in Sicilian dialect. And so that became umerta, like U-M-I-R-T-A, which... Doesn't take a it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that that became omerta, which is the ma- it's known as kind of the mafia code of silence. It's like don't betray the organization omerta, but it has its roots in the word humility, which is fascinating because the idea the the I think the origin of the term I was reading a guy a guy John Dickey who I mentioned he on another episode he's named after the male genitals. Um, a British guy, a British man named after male genitals, John Dickey. But he was talking about this, and he was saying how essentially what that means, because because the word omerta has roots in the Italian word for humility, it basically means submitting yourself to the organization. Over time, through pop culture, you know, just it, it became known as like an oath of silence. But the idea is that you're staying silent out of humility. You're submitting yourself to the will of the organization. And, you know, I would say that humility plays a role in everything I'm talking about here, where having an opinion is by its very nature not very humble. You're thinking that your thought is important enough to express, that it's important enough to destroy that empty space. Let's go with my favorite Black Sabbath lyric, which is, You know, destruction of the empty spaces is my one and only crime. And that is a crime. When you give your opinion, you are destroying an empty space and, in effect, creating a crime against the natural, you know, just just the natural equanimity of nature. But it's a necessary crime. Because as a human being, it's how you engage with the world. It's how you live. You care about things. You have thoughts. You have taste. So at best, you can hope for a balance. While you might be destroying an empty space, hopefully the thing you are creating in its place is something constructive. Which is why people don't like whining and complaining. Because that's destroying that empty space, and it's filling it with just disgusting, you know... It, <laughs> how do you describe whining? How, how do you... It's filling it with just this, like, disgusting, gaseous... Just a, a disgusting gas. 
I don't know why I'm thinking so hard about how to describe it, but that's kind of what you're creating. Like when you destroy an empty space by whining and complaining, you're just filling it with this like disgusting gas. Whereas, you know, you can still be critical. It doesn't mean that you can't be critical. It doesn't mean you can't offer criticism, but your criticism should offer something. Your criticism should be constructive. It's why the phrase constructive criticism is so popular and why people have to constantly remind each other to do that, to be constructively critical. Because whining doesn't build anything. It doesn't add anything. It doesn't construct anything. Complaining on its own doesn't add anything. So if you're going to destroy that empty space, at least build something. It's still a crime. It's still a crime to say anything at all, and I think we all feel that intuitively. I think we all... I think that that's why I say ideas like Stoicism and Pyrrhonism and asceticism, for that matter, those are all intuitive because I think we all deeply understand that it's not humble and it's somehow criminal to offer our opinion on things. But yet to completely censor yourself or censor another person or to wield your anti-opinion opinion, your stoic anti-opinion opinion, to wield that as a blunt weapon isn't the answer either. So all you can hope to do is destroy that empty space but add something worthwhile or constructive. You know, all you can do is try to achieve some level of balance. And I think if you lean in the direction of non-reaction, you're not going to stop yourself from reacting, but you're going to react when it's necessary to, when it's constructive. You're going to respond more than you will react. And I think that's what a meaningful opinion always is, is it's a response rather than a reaction. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave this golden land to me and when the morning sun reveals her hills and plains i see a land where children can run free 